Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And in today's episode, I'm discussing tips if you struggle with suicidal thoughts or ideation. This is sort of a part two to last week's episode where I talked about the difference between drama and theatrics. And at the end, I touched on the struggle of suicidal thought relating to drama. And so I wanted to do this episode on actionable things that you can do to focus your healing if your critical voice brings suicidal thoughts into your process. This is a list of 10 tips for you. Number one, get the drama out of your self-talk. And you do that by studying things like gratitude, positivity, and reframing. So if we have a negative thought, like I used to think, I'm not good enough as a counselor because I can't remember dates or tell you what theorist came up with that particular theory. The way that I thought of it was I wasn't a real academic, even though I have a master's degree. I didn't measure up to the other academics. Getting the drama out of thoughts like that means being clear with myself. I am worthy as I am. Gratitude for who I am. Gratitude for my differences. Gratitude for my lens. Gratitude for how I see things. Gratitude for my willingness to learn from other people while honoring my own style and not making my own style or humanity wrong or bad. This is how we get the drama out. If you're currently in a lot of drama, that can sound like an impossible task. That can sound like, oh my goodness, I speak English and I have to learn how to speak Spanish or Italian. How am I going to do that? You just start where you are. That's part of reframing too. Instead of that thought of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm too messed up to even take this on. Wrong and correct. That's drama. You are absolutely right to take this on as you are right now. So you start looking more at your rightness more at what you're worthy of instead of unworthy of. Tip two, stop going into confusion as a comfort zone. Nine times out of 10, you're not confused. Focus on what you do know about a situation, about your desires, 
instead of going into the confusion of unknown, unknown, unknown. This just takes practice. It's like walking a path in the woods, going on a hike. If you wander off of that path to go potty in the woods, you got to keep your eye on that path and you've got to come back. If not, you might get all disoriented, all turned around. And that confusion keeps us in a lost state. We can't find the path when we're just so confused and so confused. If you're not a new listener to the show, then you are very familiar with me talking about the inner child. So think about that through the lens of going into confusion. I just don't know what's going on around me. I just don't know if this guy likes me or not that I'm dating. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to eat at the restaurant. How much energy gets wasted that way? If we look through the lens of what you do know, that's going to lead me into my next tip. It will let you let go of that confusion. So the third tip, focus on what you do know for sure. Drama focuses on the unknown. List out what you know for sure. Do you know what your principles are? Do you know what you would like? So often a trauma survivor focuses on what they don't like. I see this a lot in parenting and we don't tend to realize we're doing this to ourselves or to the kids that might be around us. We'll walk into any situation and go, hey, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't watch that on TV. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't do this. Well, that doesn't tell somebody what to do, what to focus on. So we can start listing, we can start growing a muscle that focuses on what we do know, what we know for sure. We keep moving away from confusion, away from, I just don't know. It's a very powerless way to move through the world. It's like walking up to a dirty sink of dishes and just looking at it like, I don't know what to do with it and throwing your hands up in the air. I don't know, there's too much in this sink. And we learn with our life to reframe and to not meet situations with that energy, that powerlessness. To be empowered, we have to let go of that way of being. So we learn to walk up to the sink of our life, if you will, maybe feel overwhelmed for a moment. What a big old stinking mess. Take a deep breath and lean in. What do we do? We do one thing at a time. We pick up that first dish and we wash it. That's an integrity that we learn to bring to our life instead of looking at what our life is asking of us and going, I don't know what to do, throwing hands up, powerless, child state. Your inner child is watching you at all times. Think about how scary that is for your inner child to look at you throwing his or her hands up, giving up, saying it's too hard. Because if grown up me doesn't know what to do, what is my inner child to do but to panic? Because it's my job as the grown-up to figure it out. And if I'm not putting energy into figuring it out, I might as well be back in my childhood where the adults didn't know what the hell they were doing. Some of you who really struggle with anxiety into panic, this may be a sneaky, sneaky reason why. Start showing up for your inner child with more, I've got this covered. And if I don't know, I will figure it out is an empowered answer instead of throwing your hands up. Number four, read, practice, become the four agreements. The two that I'm going to name now from the beautiful, simple book, The Four Agreements, that is such an easy, simple guiding force for any highly sensitive person or any person in recovery, be impeccable with your word is one of those agreements. So simply 
Do not say anything to yourself that you wouldn't want to say to a five-year-old. Yep, it's as simple as that. See how we're not confused? I just don't know what to say to myself. Well, we certainly know what not to say to ourselves. If we shoot it through the lens of, would you say that to a little kid? A little kid who's just trying to figure out life? You might be bigger, you might be older, but what's different than you or me trying to figure out life? When we can really see in ourselves and everyone that there's just a little kid in there trying to figure it out, we give compassion and grace to so many people. And in giving that compassion and grace away, we also get what we give. We have some compassion and grace for ourselves too. Can you hear how these things, even though I'm not saying suicidal ideation, how these are the things that strengthen us against allowing those gremlins to talk us in to hurting ourselves or killing ourselves? Number five, I want to encourage you just boldly to work on making peace with self-discipline. And man, I can hear the inner adolescents groaning and rolling their eyes at me hearing me say that. We need a certain amount of self-discipline in this life. I know that when you are not triggered, when you are not depleted, when you are not hungry, angry, lonely, tired, exhausted, that this can make absolute perfect sense to anybody, that we need to have a certain amount of self-discipline in this life. Okay, I can't just eat everything that my inner child wants to eat. I'll be sick. Okay, so if we don't allow some simple self-discipline and make peace with that, then we need to buckle in for a life full of drama. So many people will hear self-discipline if they come from harshness or if they've had a very dysfunctional relationship. And they will actually hear in their mind self-punishment. Is that what happens when you heard me say self-discipline? Did something in you cringe like you were going to be punished? Like there's something was going to be punitive or negative or down? I've had to work on this, y'all. I think most of us really do need to work on this if we come from a home where the guiding forces were punitive, were shaming, were about embarrassing you or making you feel badly as a motivator to try to motivate you to get beyond the, the bad feeling. If that's part of your childhood, then, oh my goodness, good news. There is so much peace you can make with what self-discipline actually is. There's nothing punitive. There's nothing nasty. There's nothing negative about discipline. Discipline is part of our boundaries. Discipline is part of our healthy container that we create for ourselves and our inner child. My healthy discipline is about I am up and out of bed almost every day by 6, 6.15. That's a security that I offer myself. That's a routine. That's a self-love. That's a way to be productive. That's a way to respect my mornings. Nothing is down or negative about that. We might invite and engage some self-discipline around physical activity, about requiring ourselves to get a certain amount of movement as a self-care for this body that we carry around with us moment to moment to moment. Nothing is about punishing this body. It's about lifting it up taking the very best care of it. I am disciplined every time I get in my car and put that seatbelt on. I am disciplined with looking left and right before I cross the street because I don't want to get hit by a car. Because so much of my childhood had a very 
dark kind of discipline, a shaming, scary, aggressive, abusive way of being that they called discipline, that they called parenting. We can reframe this in our lives. We can work on having a relationship with this from our higher self, our wise woman, our wise man self, instead of letting that inner adolescent give the finger to discipline the whole rest of our lives. Just because she was taught or he was taught that discipline was harsh, you have the empowerment inside of you to teach you, your inner child, your entire system, your whole human being. That discipline is actually a form of self-love and that you are willing to grow into that love for yourself, even if that's a little confusing right now in this moment, because you get to have less drama for your life if this is part of the struggle. In terms of suicidal thoughts, at a point in my healing, I brought a lot of discipline to that inner bully and inner critic, the suicidal ideation gremlins that just, oh, you're having a hard day. Now I'm going to open my big mouth. No, I want discipline there. I am so relieved that my younger self gave some discipline here because that discipline brings peace later. That's why we engage hard work in any present moment to make our futures ever so much more lighter, so much more effective, so much more drama free. At a point in my recovery, when I would hear that inner bully directly or indirectly start to suggest, you know, it would just be better if I just wasn't here. You know, it doesn't start with the, the hard, heavy message of, hey, why don't you go kill yourself? It starts by whispering, by suggesting, by uchi-scoochuing you, poking you towards those thoughts. So I learned to watch out for the subtlety of that, the slippery slope of that in my mind as a self-love, as a self-respect, a self-regard. And when I'd hear that little whispering, just like a toxic friend that you might be familiar with, that when you're lonely, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll do something with this friend. But then when you hang out with this friend, you're like, uh, this friend is so low, low vibe. This friend is so negative. This friend brings me to dark places. This friend encourages me to throw my goals out the window. Turning to this voice and being able to say, no, I don't listen to you anymore. Or no, I know not to listen to you. Now, where's my healthy wise woman who has something different to say to that? Because my healthy wise woman will go, that's ridiculous. Life is worth living. It's just hard right now. We do not allow that thought in. That is not a useful or a helpful thought in any way, shape, or form. No. That self-discipline helped free me from that. I haven't had any suicidal ideation for years and years and years and years. And that was a daily occurrence for me for a period of my life. You can absolutely train yourself out of this with love and self-discipline. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. 
there's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Number six, notice who your support system really is. Notice who calms the drama flames in your life versus throws gasoline on drama fires in your support circles. I see this with a lot of women in particular. I have said to a lot of women professionally and personally, got to learn the difference between processing and drama. That drama just spins somebody up. Often people spin things up who don't have enough going on in their lives. That's interesting. So they jump on drama or spin drama up. And if we do this to ourselves, there's a lot of power in owning this and bringing some self-discipline to that process. If you have people in your life that throw gasoline on drama fires, you got to figure out what to do with that either inside of your own head to combat that, to disallow that to come in, or to back away slowly, or whether or not you say something to this person. Like, hey, that's not helpful, or hey, that's not useful, or hey, actually, I'd like you to help me ground and calm myself, not frighten myself more. These are your choices, and our empowerment sits in our choices. Number seven, if you struggle with the gremlins of suicidal ideation, This may sound like a strange tip, but I want to throw it in here. Consider redefining friend and friendship. I do think there's a lot of drama currently happening in our American or Western society where we are expecting ourselves to have what I think of as a sorority or a fraternity mentality of 50 friends, 100 friends, constant, constant people around us or available. The internet, social media really makes this look appealing. It makes it look widespread. Facebook has really generationally warped the idea of what a friend is. It may be true. Each person has to check this out within their own reality. But it may be true that we have less true friends than what Hollywood or the movies or this fraternity, sorority type mentality on social media looks like influencers with all their followers, those aren't friendships. Friends are like rare gems, y'all. In my life, I have had a very close handful of people that I would say are truly and deeply friends. Deep connections, connections that I can trust. Most people in my life are acquaintances, and it's a journey from acquaintance to friend. Even when I've had an intuitive moment of, oh, wow, we are definitely going to be friends, those acquaintances still need to develop, especially as older people. It's a little different when we're younger and have some automation in our friendships and some automatic qualities to being smushed together in educational environments that help us connect with people very different than in our adulthood. So we may need to redefine what a reasonable amount of friendships are in our lives so we stop dramatically ripping the scab off and poking a wound of loneliness. What if the amount of people you have, even if it's just one or two high-quality people, what if that's enough? What would change in your life if you brought enoughness to that instead of constant sense of lack that makes you feel raw, 
not good enough, unworthy, broken, like something is wrong with you. These are the sneaky thoughts that start to open the door to some of these suicidal thoughts. It's not just like all of a sudden we are having a suicidal thought. There is a process of us getting there. It's very similar to when I am working with someone who thinks they're an alcoholic. If they relapse or if they drink more, it's not just, I don't know what happened today. All of a sudden, I just had a drink in my hand. No, we map that relapse. What were you doing right before that? And what were you doing right before that? What were you saying to yourself right before that? What was your mindset? What was happening inside of your mind? What was happening outside of your life? And we can see that that drink developed. It's not just about the moment that that drink is in their hand. And it's the same with our suicidal thoughts, y'all. Any of our negative thoughts, any of the thoughts that hurt us instead of help us, they didn't just come out of the sky out of nowhere. Something was building up. Typically, our self-talk was getting shittier and shittier and shittier, and we weren't catching it. Because when we can't escape ourselves, guess what our mind is going to do? It's going to offer us an escape. And if we are our own bully, we can't escape ourselves. That's a formula for having a suicidal thought. Drama says that acquaintances are friends. Because then when an acquaintance fails you, doesn't show up, you can be really hurt and go into drama. Groundedness tends to look at the quality instead of the quantity of people around us. So consider your relationship to the word friend. Consider what you're saying to yourself about friendships, about support in your life. Consider if you're beating a drum of there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough, or I'm so weird, or I'm so weird, or I'm so emotional, or whatever it is that you are beating the drum of in your mind. Is that a good song for you? You have the power to change the tune, to change the rhythm, to change the beat, to change the channel, and to change your relationship with this idea of friendship. Number eight, as a tip for struggling with suicidal thought and ideation, get a hobby and force energy into that hobby. This is a sad, sad truth about people recovering from dysfunctional childhoods. Sometimes the accidental hobby and why you haven't had enough hobbies in your life is because the hobby has been drama. It's just never been named. That is a funky, funky hobby. It's not so enriching. We can do so much better. A big, interesting piece to recovery, if you're ever in some kind of recovery center, is that boredom tends to be the number one trigger for relapse, whether the relapse is eating disorder relapse, whether the relapse is um, addiction related, whether the relapse is funky self-talk that drags you down into a depressive hole. Often, people that are recovering don't have any hobbies. When we want to attack everything in our mindset and focus on what isn't working, what is dramatic, in talk therapy, we may accidentally, as practitioners, as therapists, we may be keeping somebody in their own drama. It's an important thing to name as a potential for the therapy process. Sometimes I don't want to help somebody stay talking and stay thinking about their drama. I actually want to go, hey, I think you need a new hobby. I'd love you to start a session going, hey, I watercolored this. 
and show me so that we can talk about, hey, what does that feel like? Did that take a lot of courage? Was that exciting? How was your self-talk as you did that? Did you hear a lot of judgment? And that may be a way to help people get outside of themselves, practice new things, be with healthier risk instead of dysfunctional risk, the vulnerability risk of trying something new that feels awkward, like a new instrument that you're a beginner at, learning how to meet yourself in that beginnerness with kindness, with self-respect, instead of critical, negative, nasty, inner bully. So powerful to be an antidepressant that you get to offer yourself just by holding the empowerment of the choice of the words and the messaging that you're offering yourself moment to moment. So we get more hobbies, we spend less time in our heads. We spend less time feeding those negative voices that drag us down. We spend more time being present instead of being removed from our lives, inside of our head, caught in the overthinking loops. So don't underestimate the power. It's not just something I'm putting on this list to put on this list. If you are looking around and a whole lot of your life looks sucky, try a new hobby and just experiment. Number nine, if you really want to get ahead of a drama dynamic, you can ask some people in your life. You might get some feedback that's life-changing like I got from my friend that I shared in the last episode. Ask people that you trust. Don't ask another drama person. Don't ask another person that you know struggles with negativity that needs to reframe things themselves. But if you have people in your life that feel safe, that feel mature, that are doing things in life, that are figuring out some peace, some joy, some prosperity, some groundedness, some rootedness, that have a good sense of community in life, ask them and ask them to call you out. Hey, do you see me creating drama that I don't need to create? Do you think I bring unnecessary drama into my life or into yours ever? And see what they say. Sometimes it's actually the opposite for some of my clients. Y'all hear me talk about the pendulum. We're all on a big old giant continuum. Sometimes you might hear the opposite, that no, you're just judging yourself as a big old dramatic force or entity when actually you're not. That may just be a feeling. So you may be surprised if you actually open up vulnerably to people in your world and ask for a bit of feedback what you hear. It may help you see yourself with more clarity and maybe let go of some judgments that aren't serving you. Or you'll get some feedback that helps you confront something that might be really important to confront and let go of. And the 10th tip that I want to give you if you struggle with negativity, if you struggle with putting yourself down, if you have really critical self-talk that drives you into suicidal ideation or thought, number 10 is to value and prioritize intuition over drama. It has got to be in the top three of questions that I get from people when they get my ear. They want to know the difference between anxiety and intuition. They want to know how to grow intuitively so that that can be a superpower, a force, a sense that guides them in their life. How can we hear our intuition if there's so much noise from drama? This may be the root of why this relationship with drama even developed in the first place. Because I can't look at a beautiful new baby and think that they are pre-programmed for drama. That's never going to sit right with me. 
We learn drama. I had to face this and forgive myself for this and learn how to accept and integrate this into my experience, into my being. That I had been born into so much drama and then I practiced drama. If I got real quiet with myself, I know I can think of some memories of it happening when I was really young because intuitively I did know something was really off with my mother. But at four years old and six years old and 10 years old, I couldn't have gotten into a car and driven away. I couldn't have walked up to a teacher and articulated what was going on in my home. Someone asked me once at a workshop where I was teaching therapists years ago, what someone could have asked me to have known that I was struggling so much as a kid. And they would have had to have asked me what was the energy that I was growing up with. Because if you just took pictures, my mother wasn't working when she remarried. My mother made dinner every night. We sat down as a family. It was really confusing for me to name what was going on. Now when I look back, I see the drama. We didn't just sit down and have dinner. We sat down and had tension. We had drama. Dinner was an event where my mother could poke us, where we could just get in more trouble if we didn't behave right, if we looked at her the wrong way. We might be grounded for a week. That was an abusive scene, but hard to name. So intuitively, I couldn't sit with my intuition because there was nothing for me to do with it. So I would have an intuition like something is wrong with dinner feeling like this. It's, this is bad. And because I didn't have wise woman me to step in and go, yes, sweet girl. Yes, it is. And you're going to grow up and you're going to be able to leave this. And I'm sorry this is happening. I didn't have grown up me to sort of tap into the process like I do now. The truth of those dinners, so much of the truth of my development was that it was just high drama, high intensity, high shitty feelings that I couldn't put my finger on, that I didn't quite understand, that I couldn't articulate. So of course, I learned to leave my intuitive gut and just go to my mind where my mind could actually do something. My mind could swarm and circle What is going on here? What is going on? Am I an asshole? What is going on? Why does this feel so bad? Something's wrong with mom. Oh, why is my sister doing that? Oh, I hate this. What is this? I learned to just be in drama in my mind because I couldn't listen to that intuition because I couldn't act from it. Healing is flip-flopping that back. Healing now inside of me sounds like listening to my intuition and acting from it. Often if I don't act from it, that old process washes over me and I leave the intuition and I go up to my mind and I start to be confused. I start to overthink. I start to just sit in the stuckness of the thought cloud and the confusion. The more that we value and actually prioritize our intuition, the less we can even consider being with drama. The more that I sat with my intuition and allowed it, the more I let it guide me, the more I felt grounded, the more I felt peaceful. Because really grown up me was doing for myself what little me didn't have the power to do because I was little. Grown up me is acting from this intuitive knowledge, this intuitive gut. Grown up me is taking action to reframe. Grown-up me is taking action to bring my physicality, my physical body to a healthy life, to a safety, to a security, 
even to a partnership, to a marriage that is healthy, that is reasonable, that is respectful of who I am as a person, as a being, as a professional, as a woman. So my number 10 tip is value and prioritize your intuition. And as you do, you're turning the volume up on intuition and you're turning the volume down on drama. There is never, ever, ever, ever going to be a time when your intuition suggests suicidal thoughts or action. If you are in those thoughts, you are in drama. You are in critical voice. You are in dysfunction. Bringing judgment or shame to any of this isn't helpful. That's just more drama. If you are in these thoughts and you need help, get some help for yourself. And I know that that pisses people off sometimes. Mental health is hard to get. It's expensive. The economy has had a downturn. All of that is more drama. There is more help available now than ever before in human history. There is more insight. There is more wisdom. There are more people talking on microphones like me right now than ever before. Don't let that drama voice convince you to throw your hands up in powerlessness. You have so much power to drive and direct your life, particularly when you don't feel that. That feeling is a lie. You have so much power. That is the beauty of getting to this adulthood. And if you are 15, 16, 17, if you are young listening to me, hold on to that. It feels like you're never going to get there until you get there. And I promise you, you're going to get there. And you can empower yourself moment to moment, season to season, year to year, decade to decade. You can bring yourself to healthiness. You can bring yourself to self-love. You can bring yourself to self-respect and self-regard. And when you do, suicide is not possible. I hope this episode also helps empower therapists to lean in here. Sometimes we are scared. Sometimes we pussyfoot around some of the truth of these things. And if you are not in year one or year two or year three, and you have some real serious experience under your belt, if you trust that you are good at what you do, then you also trust your intuition. Some of the most productive work I have done is calling people out with love, with compassion, but with strength and a sure-footedness of, hey, I think this is just drama for the sake of drama. Can we please do something different? You are really paying me to be different, not to be stuck in your own thought patterns and have me reinforce them. This is brave work to show up and do therapy, and it's brave work for the therapists that lean in and really try to help their clients see what no longer serves them. We are living through a time of dysfunction being greatly enabled in lots of different nuanced ways. May we all have more and more empowerment. It is our strength. It is our power. And you deserve it. Your inner child deserves to see grown-up you taking that power and doing good for you in your life with it. I hope there's something in this episode that helps you see yourself, that helps you see the human experience with more reality, more groundedness, and more possibility for healing, for growth, for self-development. We really can shed what no longer serves us. We can stop picking up what no longer serves us, playing around with it like it's putty, and we can just be done with it. Throw it in the trash, take that trash out, and learn to be done. There is so much healthiness waiting for you and available for you, and you deserve it. And when you can't believe that for yourself, I will believe it for you until you get there. All of us were born as precious little brand new babies into this world. It is your birthright to have peace. 
I want to thank the Patreon supporters of this show. We cannot do the show without you. And we have so much Patreon content that we have created for you. It is a smaller, cozier little community. Some of you are patrons and you don't come in for months. And we love that. You're taking care of yourself. You're living your life. And then when you need a little support, you need a little growth, you come in, you find the topics that you need, you listen, you dive in, you comment, you participate in the live streams. The two bucks, the five bucks, the 10 bucks, those of you who are behind the scenes supporters of the show and throw us a whopping 20 bucks, we cannot do the show without you. And we appreciate you so much. You have helped us get new equipment. You have helped us weather moves and new studios and keep the sound high quality. 10% of everything that we bring in on Patreon, 10% of the gross we pay forward. We had a massive pay it forward challenge recently. And we're going to have more coming. One of the things we give you when you are one of our patrons is we give you a shout out right here on the show. I want to thank these Patreon producers of Emotional Badass who are being the change in the world, who are leaning in and growing into their personal empowerment. And we are changing the world one person at a time. I believe it with every fiber of my being. This is how we heal the world by doing our own personal work. I want to thank Lost But Learning. As you can hear, you don't have to give us your real name. We'll give you a shout out with almost anything you want to call yourself. Glad to have Lost But Learning in the Patreon community. I want to thank Susie, Chris with a K, Erica, Paige, Nancy, Susan, Kiara, Vanessa, Mindy, Kathy, Nicole, Brett with two T's and an E, Christine, I want to thank Angela, Doris, Terry, Sarah, Karen with a C-A-R-I-N. I want to thank Melissa, Shaley, Leon, Christy, and Lisa. Light and love. I am an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.